Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I'm reading out of 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. This is what it says. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. We're in week two of our series uh, that we've entitled Cow Tipping. And I'm going to pray as we get into the word together today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it can get into our life and it can change us supernaturally from the inside out. We thank you that your word is so alive. It often reads us more than we read it, and a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And God, we want to live better today. We want your church to be better. We want to individually be better. We want to move the ball forward. We want to, we want to push forward, Lord God, with the vision, Lord God, and the mandate that you have for us. We thank you, God, that the years ahead for Word of Life, Lord God, are going to even be better than the years behind us, even though there were great years behind us. We pray, God, that the years ahead are going to be better. More people are going to be saved. More lives are going to be changed. More churches are going to be planted. More missionaries are going to be released. More students are going to be trained up, Lord God. We believe, Lord God, that your miracle power is working in us and through us, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand, high-five the person. Beside you as you're taking your seat, you know, it doesn't take a lot to create a, an urban legend or, or a myth. I, um, I should be a professional at this because by birth, I am Australian and we are notorious for creating myths, urban legends, things that aren't true. If you go as a tourist to, to Australia and you hang out with an Australian, they're probably going to talk to you uh, about the drop bears and warn you if you go into the bush to be careful of the drop bears. Now, drop bears are a specific breed of koala bear that hide up in the trees in Australia, and they are carnivorous. They, they are flesh-eating, and they don't care what the flesh is, whether it's a dingo or a kangaroo. They can't really discern even between people, and so they'll stay up in the trees, and if you're walking through, especially as it gets just on daybreak when it's just, you know, getting into the night, they'll sit up there, and uh, these bears don't eat eucalyptus as other koalas do. They eat flesh, and so as you're walking through uh, the bush, they'll, they'll just drop down down on you, and koalas have really big claws. They'll just savage your face. They'll snip the blood. They'll take your head off just, just like that. And, and, and an Australian will tell you the only way you can really protect yourself is a specific hat that has forks in the hat or take Vegemite and put it behind your ears. This is the only way you can protect yourself. And none of that is true. All of that is a myth. All, all of that is, is just a hoax. Uh, for two, we, are, we are big on that. I've created some of my own myths over years. I remember doing a youth camp with my friend uh, Jürgen Matesius up in uh, Kiwi Ranch in New Zealand. It was a youth camp, about a thousand teenagers there. And there was this one young girl and we we're all down by, Jürgen and I down by this lake. And on the lake, there's a little island there. And this girl came down, she was talking to us. And on the island was a goat. And we told this girl that this was Casper, the friendly goat, and that it had grown up with the people who owned the camp as being a little kid, and it would crawl up and sleep on the beds of the children. It would sit at the table and drink milk out of a little bowl, you know, on the table with the children, and it grew up with the family, and it was this beautiful, beautiful little goat. And the hair on this goat was a specific breed that if you touched it, you never feel anything as soft. 
as the hair on this goat. As you touched the hair, it was just beautiful and tender and, and soft. You could put your face up against The kids used to do that when they go to sleep, put their face up against this, this, this hair on this goat and to protect the goat because now it's grown up and it's on the campsite and, you know, all the kids are around throwing rocks at it and kicking it and stuff like that. To protect it, they put it on the island and we talked this girl into kamikazing on a rope and going onto the island. And when she got on the island, the goat, which we don't, might have been wild or something, I, I don't know, never seen that goat before in my life, took one look at her and started chasing her. And we're yelling out, oh, no, it's not Casper. It's Satan. Run. And next thing you know, she's diving in the water, swimming. And none of that was true. We made it all up. Total hoax. People get conned. And cow tipping is exactly the same. It's a hoax. And many a person, as they've gone out uh, and stayed on farms with people, people have talked them into going out late at night or the cows are up and going and tipping, pushing over the cow because it's sleeping, standing up, and it's just going to fall. Well, that's just a hoax. It's not real. They put studies in this. They say that it would take around about six to eight people just the force because the cow's so heavy just to push it over. It would take six to eight people to push it over. And they say, but even if you go up there at night and by the time the cow has seen you, it's going to move, dig its hooves in or whatever. It's not going to allow you to push it over. And if it's really smart and it sees you getting close, it's probably going to call its boyfriend, Barry the bull, who's probably going to attack you. Cow tipping is a total hoax. You cannot tip a cow and it's true for cows and I want to say it's also true for sacred cows you cannot tip a sacred cow now a sacred cow is a firmly held belief about an institution or an idea or a custom or an object it can even be a person that is so well respected uh, they are beyond opposition and they are beyond criticism and they are considered immune from question, especially in, in an unreasonable way. It's not even reasonable that you should do that. In this series, we are looking at three different breeds of sacred cow. The first lot is the cultural sacred cow. The second is what I've called the sacred, sacred cows. And then the third is emotional sacred cows. Pastor Anna talked last week about uh, um, uh, cultural sacred cows. Now, the thing about any sacred cow is that it may be sacred in one culture, but not sacred in another. It may be sacred in one people group, but another people group may not even consider it even being a sacred cow. So what's valuable at one place may not be valuable somewhere else. Uh, and so uh, Pastor Anna was talking about that last week, about cultural sacred cows, areas of culture that live in our life that we don't even think about. They are mental blind spots that dominate our priorities and our desires and our lifestyle. They are things that can actually block the way of our commitment in Christ. They are the things that, that we hold in high value that if somebody like steps over, it is a perfect example. In, in Australia, um, gestures can become sacred cows. In, in Australia, if I want you to come here, I go, hey, come here. Anybody else like that? Come here. But there are parts of Asia that if you do that, it's highly offensive. So if you want to say, come here, you have to go, hey, come here. Come, come here. Now, as an Australian, that, I'd rather you stay because that feels weird doing that. Just stay. Don't, don't come. Just hang out. But that, that, that right there is a sacred cow that if you, if you do, if you, you do that, is okay. If you do that, it's not uh, in Ghana, in Accra, we were told, if I'm going to give you this bottle of water, I can't hand you the bottle of water with my left hand. That's offensive. I need to hand it to you in my right hand. I'm an Australian. I don't care. If I want water, throw it to me. I don't care. 
left hand or right hand doesn't really matter. But these are things that are embedded in us as we've grown up and they become cultural sacred cows that can rob us from advancing in our commitment to the kingdom of God. And Dr. Anna talked about the life of Elisha last week on how when God called him through the ministry of Elijah, that he had to look at all the things that had been done, plowing the land, farming the land, and he had to say goodbye to all that and then pick up the mantle of ministry. And so he had to kill the cow that was dragging the plow. And after he killed the cow, he had to burn the plow to say yesterday is over. I'm embracing a brand new ministry. I'm picking up Elijah's mantle and I'm going to be here to do what God has called me to do. And so we need to identify cultural sacred cows that have nothing to do with the Bible, but we've set them up in our life as high priority and they may actually block us from moving in what God has called us to do. This week, I want to talk a little bit about uh, sacred, sacred cows, the sacred, sacred cow, religious customs that crash in on our commitment. Now, the religious custom may be a part of a, of a nation or a denomination, things that they just hold in high value or things that they don't value. And every nation, if you've ever traveled, how many people have traveled and in, in done missions overseas? And let me wave your hand if you've ever done missions or ever, you've only ever been in America. Not one hand went up. No, there's, we had one person that's been overseas. You all look like you're from overseas. Some of you probably lived overseas. We all from America, everyone's born here. How many people weren't born in America? Lift up your hand if you weren't born in America. So you've been overseas. You know what I'm talking about. Don't be so hard. Don't make work so hard today. You're alive. Come on. Even the people online are jumping up and down more than you. And they're in their bed. But my friend Martin Steele went to Germany. And he did this major youth conference in Germany. And young people touched by the power of God and great move of the Spirit and people on the altar call, you know, praying and worshiping and, and laying their heart before God, this big move. And thousands of teenagers there. And, and, and Pastor Martin is a friend of mine. He, he said that the youth leader, the youth director in Germany got to the platform and, and, he, and he was weeping. And he said, young people, this is just such a, a powerful move of God. And, and uh, we don't want to lose that. When we go back to our hotel, let's hold on to what God is doing, his tears are streaming down his face. And, and, and then, he, then he says this, he says, when we go back to our hotel and we sit around drinking a few beers, let's not lose what God is doing here tonight. How many people say that's a little bizarre? There's a saying over there that if the church in Holland knew that the Christians in Germany drank beer, it would cause the cigars to fall out of their mouth. Church culture is weird. There are things that are high in one culture that don't matter. In the same pastor from Holland, his name was Bert, was doing a missions trip with me in Serbia. We're in Leskovac, Serbia. Nothing, nothing else to do. It's Leskovac, Serbia. It's a tiny little town. It was bombed in, in the, the war. It wasn't a great place to be. Ministering to the gypsy people there, the Roma people there. And, and, and Bert was a drinker. And, and he used some words that weren't good in English. And, and, but I remember saying to Burr, and, and, he, and he was on fire for God. It was just weird, cultural differences. But, I'm, I'm, but we're down in Leskovac, and we come to this little shop, and there's a pinball machine in there. Nothing to do. I'm thinking, let's play some pinball. So I say to Bert, hey, Bert, let's play some pinball together. And he looked at me, and he said, I cannot do that. I'm like, why? He said, I would get kicked out of my movement my church movement for doing something so worldly as playing pinball. You can drink beer and you can smoke a cigar, but you can't have a PlayStation. How many people say that's a little weird? What is that? That is culture. Culture has a determined thing. It's a sacred, sacred cow. My my, my, my parents, they, they took me to an Anglican church, a high Anglican, All Saints Preston, it was called when I was about 12. And it was Christmas, and they were doing a presentation of the little drummer boy. 
And so they asked my dad, my dad was a drummer, they asked my dad to bring his snare drum in and play the snare drum through the song, Little Drummer Boy. So my dad brought his snare in, his Ludwood snare, set it up, ready to go, you know, and they started singing. And people at All Saints Preston lost their mind that they would do something so worldly as bring a snare drum in to the church and play the drum in church. You could sing about a drummer boy playing a drum for Jesus, but you couldn't have somebody playing the drum for Jesus. What is this? This is a sacred, sacred cow. We set them up and we're not even aware of them sometimes. When, when I was a kid's pastor, when I first started ministry in my 20s, and I was at a, a church in Townsville, a Christian Outreach Center, and we were very, very, very conservative Pentecostals. It, it was like super legalistic, conservative. We had the ACE school system, a Bible Baptist school system. It was super conservative. We, we were more about what you weren't allowed to do rather than what you were allowed to do. Well, my pastor did that out of a reaction of ministry. And then he met a, a man by the name of Pastor Phil Pringle, who had Christian City Church in Sydney. And it's, it's impacted the world. And when he met Phil and Christine Pringle, he realized that this man and woman of God were very normal. They weren't weird. They, they weren't religious. They weren't super spiritual. They're just really down-to-earth, normal, everyday people who love God with a passion and had an overwhelming anointing of the presence of God on their life. And hundreds of people were getting saved. People were getting delivered. People were getting healed. And when he saw their normal life, he couldn't deny that what God was doing in their life was spectacular and it didn't come with all the religious trappings that we'd added to our Christianity. And he come back to the church and he said, we're going to change. We're going to get normal. And he said to me, he said, John, when you do our kids ministry, just be yourself. Don't, don't, don't try to be somebody. Just, just be you. Have fun. Be you. Well, I think he may have regretted that. I know some people in the church definitely regretted that moment. Me, just be me with kids. It was awesome. So I changed our name from Sunday school to Fun Day School. And I told the kids, don't come in your Sunday best, come in your Sunday worst because we're going to be playing games. You're going to get dirty. Many times I sent the kids home soaking wet. There was one time I had the kids covered in mud and water so badly that the parents refused to put them in the car and made me drive them home. It took us three hours to get those kids home in, in the afternoon, but it was every part of it was, was worth it. But I, I remember it was one of our, like a VBS, it was a, uh, a, a, a summer thing that we did. And we, we, the, the church wasn't a beautiful auditorium like this. It was just a box building uh, with a couple of hundred chairs in it and a concrete floor. And so I thought it was a great idea during our kids thing to take all the chairs out. It was a concrete floor. If God doesn't want you to roller skate in the church auditorium, why would God give you a concrete floor? Like if he didn't want you to roller skate, he would have put carpet on the concrete floor. But God gave us a concrete floor. So I decided how cool it would be to have roller skating with our kids all week uh, during their their. Bible school thing during during summer and so we, we and then we had a great sound system in there that's like Jesus blessing to put on some real heavy metal Christian rock music we had Petra and all this like cranking out full tilt because I like music that's loud so we had loud music and kids roller skating around the auditorium and I remember some of those parents came and they lost their mind they, 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 this was blasphemy why because we had touched the sacred sacred cow. Denominations do it all the time through liturgy, decor, behavior, things that have no solid biblical foundation, not necessarily bad, but have nothing to do with the spirit. They were more upset that we would roller skate in, a, uh, in an auditorium than impact the lives of children forever. They overvalued a building over the lives of children. When those values become part of church culture, then we tend to enshrine them with holiness and they become high in pseudo-spiritual value and in turn they become a sacred, sacred cow. And if you're a leader, if you touch them, 
you touch them at your peril. I don't care how godly that person thinks they are. If you touch their sacred cow, they're going to lay hands on you and see if you recover. This is going to happen. There is something in our human nature that, that tends to overinflate the value of, of, of something. To take something that in reality has very little value and, and to ascribe great value to it. Now, we do it in the church, but they do it in society. Uh, Michael uh, Jordan, one of his jerseys from the 1998 game, one of the NBA finals, sold for $10.9 million. A basketball shirt sold for $10.9 million just a couple of years ago because Michael Jordan, now you may be a basketball fan, you may go, yeah, if I had 11, I'd pay it. But somebody ascribed value to something that's probably only in reality worth a couple of hundred dollars. They, they do that all the time. A Tupac's ring I saw recently sold for a million dollars. The LeBron James autographed rookie card sold for $5.2 million. When, when we went to Israel, some of the historical moments where Jesus was buried or Jesus was crucified. And different. They built these monuments, even Peter's house where Peter lived. They built this spectacular building over the, this beautiful monument over the top of it. Why? Because we ascribe value to locations and to things and to memorabilia. And we do it in the church all the time. We ascribe value to things that have zero to little eternal value. They're just not valuable. Just, it's just a thing. I was preaching in Kansas at this uh, church, great church, and, 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 and a church that had been around since the, the days of the early Pentecostal revivals in the 1900s, just a historical church. But they had this pulpit that I'm sure has been there since the early 1900s. It's like a small building. It was tall. It was really wide. It, it, it was massive. It was like this big barrier between me and the congregation, which I hate. I like a little pulpit like this because it's easier to, to connect. And, this was, and, and it was so big, they had stuff shoved in it. They had like sweaters and old Bibles and boxes of tissues, just random. Just, it was like a junk drawer on the stage, decorated like, like a pulpit. And when I made some comments about preaching at this small building and in the building and looked in there and thought and said, oh, there's a small family living in there. People were offended that I had insulted their, their pulpit. So don't, don't talk bad about the You shove junk in here. I just pointed out you have junk in here. You put junk in your pulpit, but then you love your pulpit so much. Don't touch. Don't touch the pulpit. There's nothing holy, it's a hunk of wood that you hold notes on. There's more God in you than there is in a pulpit. There's more God in you than there is in a hunk of wood. We overvalue things. My friend James McPherson took on Calvary Church. Uh, it was the church my parents were at. And, and he took over the church and he was there a couple of years and, and he took one of the, he cleaned the offices out and got new office equipment because all the office equipment was old. And Pastor Mari Cartledge, who was pastoring there, four pastors before him. So there was David and Mari Cartledge, a succession of three or four pastors after. Part. This is years on, James took the church and the thing that he did, he took Mari's desk that was in an office and threw it out because it was old and people lost their mind you touch pastor Murray's desk they'd left this desk in an office for over 10 years no one could touch it because it was Murray cartilage's desk it was made of wood there was no god in the desk the god was in Murray cartilage and she wasn't even at the church she was in another state and he threw the desk out and people left. They got, whoa. Pastor Mari came there a little while later and was preaching. And she got up to the pulpit and she said, I heard that you threw my desk out. And all the people that had had that as a sacred, sacred cow are like, oh, James is going to get it now. And she turned around. She goes, I can't believe it took you people so long. I didn't even like that desk when I was here. 
On an informal poll recently on social media, they asked people the top 10, 15, what they would say would be sacred, sacred cows. That's my terminology. They just called it religious sacred cows. But here they are in order. The sanctuary, the organ, politics. You make one political party a sacred cow that no one can touch. The order of worship, the building. Flowers in the worship centre, on the stage, both fake, real, didn't matter. Clean or dusty, didn't matter. Uh, music, worship style. Sunday school and Sunday evening services, pews, attire, clothing. You know, one of the funniest things for me is the only comment that I've had on social media uh, about, about what I wear in the pulpit is me wearing a suit and tie. There's a guy in Australia that said, lose the suit and lose the tie. He was offended I was wearing a suit and tie. I, I will wear a suit and tie every now and then. Why? Number one, because I like a suit and tie. It, uh, I mean, it's not great in summer, but I like, a, I like a suit and tie. And number two, just if he's watching, I want to offend him. I think it's dumb that we could be offended over clothing as long as it's nice and, and comfortable. It's, it's, uh, pews, attire, committees can become sacred cows. Cemeteries in the church, pray God we don't have that anymore. Uh, choir robes, the previous pastor, white tablecloths over the elements for communion. These things were things that people listed as religious or sacred, sacred cows. Touch them, we're going to take you out. Moves of God have been stagnated, silenced, and stopped because of sacred cows. Congregations have become stuck, shrunk, and vanished from the face of the earth because of sacred, sacred cows. Some churches have shrunk so much that they're only a flu season away from not existing anymore because they've held on to sacred, sacred cows. Church buildings have emptied out, they've closed down, and they've been sold because people overvalued sacred, sacred cows. Pastors have quit, lost their passion, and turned their back on ministry because of the backlash that they received when they tried to tip a sacred cow. Now, I, I'm going to be honest with you. We've been here just on two years in a couple of weeks. August 15 uh, will be two years that uh, Pastor Anna and I have had the privilege and the honor of being lead pastors here at, at Word of Life and building on an amazing legacy. Now, I got to tell you, as I, I'm preaching on this, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because we've had the dream run. I talk to friends of mine that have taken over churches, that have led churches, taken on from all of pastors who've retired or passed, and they have had horrible resistance from people. A lot of them have just given up, thrown away. I, we're not doing that anymore. Stop because of the sacred, sacred cows. We, we, we've had a dream run. God's been really good. You've been, we have, we have an amazing family. How many people know we have an amazing family here at Word of Life? It's, it's been good. I, I don't think it's always been easy for everybody. It's not easy for everybody. When you change things, most people don't like change. I think about the only thing that anybody's actually tangibly said to me personally was uh, I kept referring to things that I didn't like as ugly. And I had one of the deacons come up to me. She goes, Pastor, look, we're 100% behind you. We love what you're doing, fully supportive of what you're doing. We're, we're backing you on all these things. Please, can you do me one favor? And I said, what's that? She said, can you please stop referring to things in the church as ugly? I thought, that's a really good point. <laughs> I, I can do that. That's, that, seem, that seems pretty easy. That's the only thing. And, and, and so we, we have a dream, we've had a dream run. But I'm here to tell you, it, it doesn't stop. We can create right now sacred cows. We have the ability in our generation right here, right now, to create sacred, sacred cows that if you touch them and shrine them in holiness, people lose their mind. And we've got to make sure that we keep moving ahead with the Spirit of God and being always where God wants us to be. Here's what happens. We yield our spiritual authority when our sacred, sacred cows assume number one priority. In 2 Kings, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 18, Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him, but of Baal, then follow him. So Elijah is this impassioned prophet that looks at the people of God and says, hey, listen, how, how long will you play the God game? <clears throat> how long will you vacillate between two opinions? If God is God, make a decision to serve him. You can't be fully committed. You can't be all in if sometimes you're half out. You can't be all in if sometimes you're sometimes in. You can't be all in if your focus is divided. James said you're a double-minded man and you're unstable in all your ways. In other words, you need crutches. You, gotta, you, 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 you can't walk straight. And, and Anna and I just got back from Alaska. And one of the things that we did in Alaska is we, we, we went to a glacier and we got to walk on a glacier. And there's so much ice on the glacier. They said it's optional if you want to carry a walking, a stick to walk with or just walk without one. Now, my ego wanted to walk without a stick. My ego is like, I can run on the ice without a stick. My intelligence says, if you run on that ice, you're going to be on your backside on the ice, take a stick. And praise God, at that point, doesn't always work for me, but at that point, my intelligence was greater than ego. And so I got the stick and it was unstable on the ice. You're walking on a glacier, man, with water everywhere. And so you need the support. That's what, that's what James is saying. Even on the, we were on the boat for seven days and we got off the boat. Now we're on, on dry land and I'm like looking away at something and my whole body was swaying from the boat that I wasn't even on the boat anymore. I was off the boat on land, but still swaying. That's what James is saying. You're unstable. This is what a double mind will do to you. It will create instability in your own life. Like the church of Laodicea. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're a mixture you're unstable, you're lukewarm, that's not good for me. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. So what had Israel done? They had synchronized, they had blended their worship of God. Some theologians say the word Baal, which means Lord, was actually used to describe Jehovah when they first got there in you know, amongst all these other cultures. But then they started to blend it with the God of Hadad and, and other gods. They started to, uh, syncretism came in and they started this blend of, of, of Jehovah with, with other gods and Baal worship and that they came up worshiping Baal as a God that wasn't the God, Jehovah, the God of Israel. And they were divided. Sometimes they're worshiping God. Sometimes they're, they're in church. They're divided in their focus. And uh, uh, Elijah is saying that is going to destroy you. Worshiping a man-made sacred, sacred cow. And man does that. We create our own little gods. Israel did that. Moses is on a mountain. And they're like, why is Moses up there? He should be down here with us. We, we, we want him down. What, why is he taking so long? Moses is up there talking to God. He's getting 10 commandments. And so they say to Aaron, listen, we want a God we can see. Make us a cow. Make us a God. They chip in their money. They had no issue with paying the cash, giving gold to build a, 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 a sacred cow, a, a cow that they could worship. And then Aaron's like, here is your God. That bought, they built a sacred, sacred cow. They nearly got wiped out for worshiping that sacred, sacred cow. Israel, a pack of murmurs. They were always whining. They didn't like where God was taking them. They always wanted to go back to the leek and onions of the old. They didn't like the journey. They didn't like the diet. One point, they're complaining about food and God sends poisonous snakes. Now they're like, we don't like the poisonous snakes. We'll go back to the food. And so Moses made a bronze serpent on a pole and he held it up. He said, when the snake comes at you, look at the pole and you, you won't. This is a symbol of Christ. And so they, they looked at the pole. God delivered them at that moment. But years later, years later, Moses is gone. King Hezekiah is in leadership and he comes there and they're worshiping all these false gods. And one of the things that they're worshiping is the bronze serpent on the stick that was redundant years ago. But they turned a bronze serpent into a sacred, sacred cow. And he said, we're going to pull that down. We're going to smash it. We're going to destroy it. Why? Because you can't tip sacred cows. You have to take them out of the way. 
You can't play with them. You've got to take them out of the way. You lose your voice and your vision when the sacred cow gets bigger than the mission. When your sacred cow that you put up there is greater than the mission, you're going to lose your voice. You're going to lose your mission. The Bible says in verse 21, and the people did not answer him a word. When Elijah challenged them, they were silent. Why? Because their voice said nothing. Sacred, sacred cows, religious idols have no voice. They are just an echo of a previous conversation. They have sentimental value, but no modern day value. It's a little bit like top 40 hits. You can listen to a song that you heard as a teenager and and it brings back emotional feelings or thoughts about that moment. And it's not a bad song. It's not, it's not, not, but, but it has no modern day relevance. It's not on the local top 40. You lose your vision and you lose your voice when these things happen. Objects become more important than objectives. Decorations become more important than mission. The past becomes more important than the present. Programs become more important than people. Liturgy becomes more important than Jesus. Traditions become more important than transformation. Your gift that God has given you is more important than unity. When these things get in the way, they rob us from being all that God wants us to be. We yield our traction when the sacred cows determine our action and our passion. In this passage of scripture, I see three different levels of passion in serving God. The lowest passion is what I call the eat your kale passion. Now, I'm not sure if you're, all the kale lovers, lift up your hand, all the kale lovers. There's a few kale lovers. I knew, I knew you'd put your hand up, babe. You love the kale. How many people like kale snail? You, you don't like kale. Just lift up your hand, all the kale haters. Yeah. Lift up your hand. You've never heard of kale. <laughs> lift up your hand if you haven't lifted up your hand. Some of you like, some of you like, I'm not lifting up my hand for nothing. Tell me to lift up my hand. I keep my hand down. Lowest form of passion is what I call your, your, your eating kale passion. Or, or another way of putting it is kissing Auntie Enid passion. It's Christmas. Auntie Enid comes over to your house. No offense to anybody called Enid. And Auntie Enid comes over and she probably hasn't brushed her teeth since last Christmas. And she's that weird auntie that always wants to give you a big slobbery kiss, but you do not want to kiss her. And so you sort of kiss her, but you're like kissing her right. It's like, uh. that's the lowest form of passion that you can have. You're kissing Arnie Enid, but you don't really want to kiss Arnie Enid. The people answered him, not a word, nothing. They were immobilized and they were silent because of the sacred, sacred cows. The second level of passion is what I call eat chicken passion. It's a little bit higher and, and it doesn't matter what you're eating. Eat deer, people, what deer tastes like? Chicken. What's that beef sausage taste like? chicken. I ate some chicken the other day and I asked the person, what's that taste like? Like chicken. It's what I would call kiss your mother passion. I love my mom. How many people love your mom? Some of you don't love your mother. We need to have an altar call for mother haters. Sing with me. I love my mom. I love my mom. I love my mom. I love my mom. When my mom tells me to brush my teeth, I brush my teeth because I love my mom. I love my mom. Kiss my mom. I, I, I'm going to give my mom a kiss. I'm not going to be a kiss on the lip, a kiss on the cheek. I'm going to kiss my mom because if I don't kiss my mom, my mom's going to kill me. I'm gonna kiss, but it's a higher level of passion, but it's not great. And so what happens here is Elijah says, we're going to have this competition. Prophets of Baal put a bull on their altar. I'm going to put a ball on mine, chop it up, call down fire. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people say, it's well spoken. A moment ago, they said nothing. Now there's a competition. They say, it's well spoken. These are people that like to chase the spectacular and they value the spectacular more than they value the supernatural. Now I'm going to tell you, my personality, I love the spectacular. I love it when God moves. I love seeing people 
over in the power of the Holy Ghost. I love seeing the prophetic. I love seeing people weep. I love the spectacular. Move. I've been in a lot of spectacular moves of God. I love the spectacular. But as a leader, I have a higher value on the supernatural. The supernatural is not always spectacular. I've been in some spectacular moves of God. I did a youth camp in Melbourne, Australia, and God moved in a spectacular way. Kids were stacked up on the floor. We were going back to our dormitories at night. Kids would fall down under the power of God from the auditorium to their dormitory. I, I, we'd have a morning meeting. I remember the cooks from the camp angry at me because kids were getting slain in the spirit in the morning sessions and staying down there for hours all the way through lunch and food was going wasted and so some of the cooks came up to me and they honestly said to me please don't pray for the students in the morning because they're missing the lunch that we're cooking for them I mean no that's an awesome move of God I, 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 I love that. But I, I've seen it happen where people have slain in the spirit, power of God hit them, they shake, rattled and rolled and they got up as stupid as they went down. They're making dumb life choices, doing dumb things over and over and over again, making bad decisions in their life without listening to any godly counsel, using any wisdom. Oh, but woo, we love the power. Give us the power. Yeah, but your life is out of control. I've seen people get slain in the spirit and not get healed. I've seen people stand upright, not get slain in the spirit and get healed. If it's me, I don't care about down or up. As long as I get healed, if I need to be healed, I want to be healed by the supernatural power of God. The spectacular is good for the audience, but the supernatural is powerful for the individual. And some people chase that. Oh, we like this competition. We're calling down fire. Oh, this is awesome. That's their passion. It's all in the stuff. The highest level of passion is what I call eat the soft serve passion because I love soft serve. You're thinking about a birthday present? Soft serve's always good. I believe Jesus likes soft serve. If he was around today, he'd be eating soft serve. You can never eat the McDonald's soft serve because the machine's always broken, but I like soft serve. It, it, it's what I call kissing my spouse passion. I love to kiss my bride and I kiss my bride different than I kiss my mother. Because if I kiss my bride the same as I kiss my mother, I'd punch myself in the face. It's the highest level of passion. And this is when the fire falls and all of a sudden there's a change in the people and they say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The lowest form of passion is they're totally into these idols and things like that and their life is saying nothing. They are silent, unstable in all their ways. Then they say, let's have a competition. It's a little bit better. Let's have service. Let's have praise. Let's have worship. Let's have music. Let's have stuff. Let's have games. This is cool. And they go, oh, this is this is well-spoken. We, we like this. But the highest level of passion is when God moves on your life, the power of God hits you individually and you say from your heart, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And when that fire fell, it took out the altar, it took out the bull, it took out the sacred cow, it took out all the water and everything went up in it because God moves. That's the highest level of passion is when we're in the kingdom of God because of God and not because of stuff. Now, I like stuff. As you go out today in our series, they're going to give you a candy. As you go out the door, it's like a cow candy. I didn't even know what it is. It looked pretty cool. And they're going to give you that. That's just stuff. Why, why do that? Because it's fun. Just, just do it. Does it have any spiritual value? Zero. Zero spiritual value. Are we trying to do it so unsafe people would come to church? Because what? They're giving out a candy? Unsa no, unsafe people aren't singing at home saying to themselves, man, if the church gave out candy, I'd go and get saved. That's not happening. We do it just because it's, but, but we just do it because that doesn't matter. What matters is worshiping God. What matters is being in the Word. What matters is praying and seeking the presence of God. All that other stuff is cool and fun and awesome but it has no spiritual value. And your response right now is like the people, the beginning of the chapter. You guys sound like a pack of auntie kisses. Aunt Enid is going to come at Christmas time. She's going to be looking for you. We need to kill the sacred cow and we need to burn the sacred plows. Just for the sake of time, I'm going to just go over this. These are what, what Elijah did. And Russell, you can came up, come up with the team. He repaired the altar that was broken down. 
First thing that he did was he repaired the altar that was broken down. You need to identify those areas in our life that have been set up that have robbed us from the presence of God. You have to identify what God is not breathing on. What God breathed on 40 years ago, he may not be breathing on today. And so you need to identify what is God not breathing on? Where is God not moving? I've seen churches get trapped. There's a church in New Zealand, in Auckland, New Zealand. I don't think it's changed. I think right now it's the same. In the 70s, it had a powerful move of God. Powerful move of God. And they built a 3,000-seat auditorium in the 70s. It was huge, right down on the waterfront, on the, on the highway, going from one side of the city to the other. Massive. The pastor left. The church started to dwindle. They got a man of God, Rick Seawood, in from Singapore to come in and try to rescue the church. He chopped it down, made it a 2,000-seat auditorium because the church had dwindled. And the people in the church made his life hell. Wouldn't let him change stuff, wouldn't let him do things. Eventually, he just said, you know what? You guys can have that church. I'm not interested. And he went back to Singapore. He said, I don't need this. I don't need your, don't need your aggravation. I don't need your resistance. God can do something on me wherever I'm at. And he left that church. They put another guy in Max. And the church dwindled from thousands down to hundreds, from hundreds down to about 40 or 50 people. In the early 2000s, it was a church of about 50 people in an auditorium of 3,000 people. And there were other churches in town that couldn't get a building. And they were asking, can we rent your building? We have a church of 3,000 people. Can we rent your building? And they said, no, God is going to bring revival back to our church. God is going to move in our church. God, and for nearly 20 years, they said the same thing. No one can use this building because God, but God stopped breathing on it. And they kept this building as a sacred, sacred cow. And here, when the move of God in the city needed a venue, 50 people, it dwindled down to about 15 people that ended up just owning the property. That wasn't even a godly thing. Monopoly, they wouldn't even let anybody rent or use the building. This great legacy of a move of God become a sacred, sacred cow because people didn't realize or, or understand God's not breathing on that anymore. It's criminal. I think those people are going to answer to God when they get to heaven. It's criminal what they did. You've got to identify it. You've got to ask yourself here at Word of Life, if we, if we changed it, would it impact you? If we stopped it, would it stop you? If we moved it, would it offend you? Or more specifically, if we removed it, would you remove yourself too? When change happens, how you embrace the change, especially about stuff, is how much value you've put on the stuff. And when we create sacred, sacred cows, they block us. The Bible says with the 12 stones, he built the altar. 12 speaks about leadership. It's about vision. He built vision. I, I, I met a pastor the other week, and a, a lot of pastoral friends have asked me how this transition has gone. I'm like, man, it's been fantastic. Church is growing. We're expanding. We're going to take on a campus. We're doing more missions. All sorts of things are happening. And there's life here. It's at the, the youth service on Friday night was spectacular. They, they filled the, the chapel with young people. If you were here on Friday night, they filled the chapel. I, I'm not sure the last time we've had a youth service that big certainly hasn't been since I've been here. It was awesome. Things are happening. I talked to friends that are taken on churches, and it's a nightmare because people are holding on to the sacred, sacred cows. He dug a trench around the altar. He put wood in order. In other words, he sacrificed his own flesh, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it on the wood, and he drenched it in water. The only thing that you can do with sacred, sacred cows is kill them, is put them on the altar and say, God, this was great for a season. God, you breathed on this for a season. You use this for a season, but you're doing something different now. And so I'm willing, as difficult as it is, to lay down the sacred, sacred cow, to be in line with vision, to be in line with what you're doing, to be moving in the spirit so we can reach more young people. We can reach an emerging generation. 
Some churches are still trying to reach millennials. Some churches are still trying to reach Generation X. We're down to X to millennials to Gen Z to another generation coming up under them. We don't want to get left in the dust. We don't want to get left in the dust. Whatever gets in the way. What is the way of your worship? One of the things that you've put in the way that you've just set up that you're like, man, if that doesn't happen, I can't even, I can't even, you know, for a while it was hymns. And even I think we should do like a classic hit. Don't you think we should do a classic hit Sunday? I know you did one on Wednesday nights, but we should do that one Sunday, like a classic hits Sunday morning, just bring out a whole heap of old songs. And, uh, and, and how many people would enjoy that? We brought out some classic hits. Only time you clapped all morning. I knew I'd get you just get some action somewhere. <laughs> but that'd be fun. But realize they're classic hits. They were good in their season. But nothing holy about them. It's just a song like the songs we sing today. I passionately want God to move. And my prayer for you is that you passionately want God to move. I believe as we start to distribute these goods out to our community and we bless people that, that, that are that are going without, and we can, we can bless them with no strings attached. They don't have to come to our church. They don't have to attend. Just bless people. Why? Because Jesus is real. I believe as we can go onto the mission field and we can plant churches and see churches grow and train up leaders. We're going to have Bible college coming here soon, and we can train up leaders. I our, our school right now, our uh, Word of Life Christian Academy has more students registered for next year for school than we've had for a few years now. So the school is growing. So many really, really cool things are happening. And my prayer is that you'd be a part of it. My prayer is that whatever would hold you back, if there's a sacred cow around here, we know it's not the pews because we put seats in. It might be the pews. Maybe you sit on this and then you go upstairs to the balcony where there's still pews and maybe you lie down and kiss a pew. Love you, pew. My favorite little pew. When they open up the balcony, I want to sit on you, pew. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit overshadow us. God, we don't want our heart to get connected to tangible things and make them a mini-God. We don't, we don't want our heart to be consumed with things that don't matter. We don't want to have our heart more connected to objects that we see or use in church than we have for the broken and the lost in our community, your ability to bring salvation to them. And so, God, we examine our hearts today. We come before you and we examine our heart, test our heart, test our heart, test our faith. Lord, we don't want to operate with a passion that says nothing. We don't want to operate in a passion that just likes the church service and things that happen. But we want to operate in a passion that says, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And God, if that's you sending your fire down to burn up all our sacred cows so it's only us and you and no religious things in the way, God, we want to be like that. We want to be like that. We want to be holy. We want to be honest. We want to be real. We want to be open. We want to be caring. We want to be loving. We want to love you. We want to love the world around us. We want to love our church family. Lord God, we want to love each other. Lord God, we want your love to dominate here. Dominate in this room. Pour out your spirit like you've never poured it out before. Help us, Lord God, get rid of anything that would stand in the way of worshiping you and anything that would stand in the way of reaching our community for you. Our heart is open. Our mind is open. Our spirit is willing. Please help our flesh, Lord God, to get in alignment. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name.